and welcome to Once More with Commentary. We're a Buffy and Angel podcast. I'm Jenny. And I'm Allie. And today we're talking about season six of Buffy, Flooded, and season three of Angel, Carpe Noctem. Yeah. Noctem. Sure. Yeah. <sighs> I like that you always say the season name. I forget. And I don't I feel always. like it's a good reminder sometimes. I don't always, for some... You know, I was thinking about it a lot this morning... <laughs> Because I, uh, we've been using a family member's Hulu account and to watch both of these shows, and uh, without any warning, uh, it stopped working. (laughs) So this morning I was like scrambling to watch Angel, and I thought for sure I had it on DVD, which was initially my goal was like I'm gonna watch all these on the old janky DVDs, and then I just gave up on that because it's just really easy to stream (laughs) stream things. Uh, Anyway, I thought I had season three of Angel, and it turns out I don't. So I was, like, really had to think about, like, what season are we on? Like, anyway. So it was just in my head. Because I sort of was like, yeah, I have that, right? And then I was like, wait, are we watching season two or season three? Anyway. Anyway, I had to buy this episode on Amazon because I got caught in a pinch and I needed to watch it quickly. (laughs) I think the other alternative would have been to start our own Hulu account. I just thought, I was just like, I did the mental, I was, I, like, I literally finished this all, like, ten minutes ago or, like, ten minutes before I called you. So it's like. I just was cutting it pretty close to the wire, and I was like, I just need to do whatever the fastest thing is. I feel like setting up my own Hulu account is somehow going to turn into, like, a 15-minute process instead of, you know, this. So I paid $2 for one episode. It's not my smartest choice, but what do you do? But maybe it was the best choice. And now, now that I know this is the, you know, now I can take steps for next week so that I won't be caught unprepared again, but. So your Hulu access just went away? I, they must have canceled their account or something. Mm. Or or something or changed or they just changed the password didn't tell us I don't really know, <laughs> uh, so we'll either get to the bottom of it or we'll just be adults and have our own Hulu. Yeah, it's I so frustrating for, for me because I've been watching Buffy on DVD because I have like the whole set mm-hmm. and then I have to watch Angel on Hulu and mm-hmm. then it's really annoying because like Buffy I can just you know breeze through. Yeah, breeze through the episodes and then Angel I'm like oh there's commercials. So many ads, <laughs> yeah. And they're all the same ad over and over and I over. Know. It's the worst thing about Hulu. Every once in a while, one. like, you get that thing where they're like, would you like to watch one long ad before your show? I'm like, yes, always. I always oh, want to do that's this. It's so funny because I never do that. <laughs> I really like the commercial breaks still. Even though I hate the commercials, I like having the opportunity to, like, great, now I can go refill my coffee or now I can go, you know, do whatever for, like, one minute. Well, I'm always watching on my laptop, so, like, by the time I get up and, like, put mm-hmm. the laptop down and, like, go do whatever I'm going to do, like, the show's already started again, mm-hmm. so. For some reason, too, I have this, uh, <laughs> I have a thing against, I guess I'm just bitter about how much all of my life is just mined for every possible piece of data always that I really don't like participating in them voluntarily, where <laughs> it's like, I don't want to tell you anything about myself. I hate it when they're like, which ad do you want to watch? I'm like just show me an ad. I really don't want to tell you anything else than you already know about me, which is everything. So why are you even asking me this question? You probably know which ad I would prefer to see. Anyway, that's the real, I just don't, I really hate doing like YouTube gives survey ads a lot. I don't answer those. Ugh, man. Certainly you can buy all this information on me easily. Why are you asking me questions? Yeah. Doesn't Facebook just sell all that? Yeah. And if this is the one thing you don't know, I'm not going to voluntarily tell you. I prefer lawnmowers. Yay. 
that's wait what that's what it feels oh. like no like I'm saying like the ad experience like yeah. it's always like which ad would you prefer and it's like do you want to see a guy mowing his lawn or do you want to see somebody like sprinkling sod or so you know something yeah, it's like, <laughs> yeah exactly it's not really going to tell you anything about me that's true and if anything it's like you're just extending this whole experience for what end like I'm how am I possibly gonna well maybe there is maybe there is a strategy to like you being involved in it man I'd sure like to know because I almost always my reaction to advertisements or anything in that realm is like man all this has done is maybe is convince me to never buy your product because I'm so annoyed about all this (laughs) Ugh. all right well that was a weird uh Aside, but, but a yeah. productive one? Maybe not. <laughs> I guess now all those companies know where I stand, so. Whew. It just, like, makes me laugh sometimes because I get so enraged about having to watch ads while watching Angel. And, like, when I was first watching Angel, you know, forever mm-hmm. ago, that wasn't even a concern because that was just how mm-hmm. TV worked. So mm-hmm. it's just funny. I, we're all spoiled brats now. It's fine. Uh, um, maybe, but I don't know. I do feel like our relationship to advertising is so uh, dysfunctional now, though. Like, not just the way that you're saying, but, like, really, it's, like, without... Well, you know what? Let's not get into this. But just that everybody knows everything about you already, and that it's, like, well, in order to live a life at all where you're not a hermit, you pretty much have to give away a lot of stuff about yourself. So it's, like, I do feel even more resentful about advertising, even... Not just because, like, I've gotten spoiled and gotten used to not having to see it, but also because, like, I know that they're just all... It's just so insidious. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I guess I would go back to just regular ads where you do your best to guess what I might be interested in. Well, that ship has sailed for sure. Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, okay. Well, let's right. <laughs> talk about the show <laughs> instead of my weird diatribe. We can talk more about <laughs> consumer efforts and um, consumer marketing if you want. But yeah. um, <laughs> let's talk about plumbing. Okay. So, well, I'm worried that I don't have a lot to say about either of these episodes, too, so... I mean, maybe, well, maybe that's not Well, I will tell you, I have one line of notes for Angel, but I have yeah. a little bit more yeah, with Buffy. No, um, I do have more about Buffy, obviously, but yeah. I think it's going to be the same threads of what we've already been saying. Um, <laughs> but we'll get it. Let's, let's get into yeah. it before we tell everyone to stop listening. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, all right, so we watched Flooded, so... Um, Buffy is still readjusting to life after death, and she's conquering the plumbing in the basement and makes a mistake and ends up flooding her entire basement. Um, So this brings up some issues that Willow hasn't yet told her about, which is mostly that Buffy has no money. So her mom died in the last season and left her pretty well taken care of. You know, she's got a house. She had you know, I I assume a life insurance policy, Buffy should be set. Except, remember, Joyce died after a prolonged illness, so turns out the hospital bills pretty much ate into most of her nest egg that she left for Buffy, and now Buffy's going to have to face the fact that pretty soon she's probably going to run out of money. So, given that there's this lake in the bottom of her basement she does have to fix that pretty immediately so she decides she's going to go to the bank and she's going to get a loan um that goes about as well as you might think but meanwhile a demon attacks the bank (laughs) buffy saves everyone but other demons rob the bank in the meantime so or was it the trio who robbed the bank well we'll we'll figure yeah okay 
doesn't matter. The bank gets robbed in the meantime. <laughs> so the bank isn't really that grateful to Buffy, and they still say no. So she's still kind of in a tight spot. Um, even though Xander, you know, like with his construction connections, is trying to help her out. But um, all this all this adulting and these heavy things are really not serving to, like, bring Buffy out of her funk that she's in. And um, meanwhile, Giles returns to Sunnydale, and they have a very emotional reunion. But he kind of picks up on the fact that something's really not right. Buffy's mm-hmm. not okay. And he's chalking it up, you know, to just her being in a hell dimension and trying to recover from that. But he's starting to think maybe something else is going on. Um, he reads Willow the Riot Act for the spell mm-hmm. that she did, thank goodness. Mm-hmm. And Anya is also still after Xander to try to tell everyone about their engagement and not really understanding why he's still putting it off. Um, and then we also meet the trio. So they are the ones who hired this demon to attack the bank. And now he wants them to try to kill the Slayer, but they just decide, oh, you want to kill the Slayer? Here's her name, address, and phone number. You go do it yourself. And so he shows up and further trashes the Summer's home. And then it just kind of ends, like, Buffy's not resolved anything. She's still got to deal with all these issues. Giles offers to help, you know, her sort through everything. Um, Unfortunately, Angel calls during this conversation, and Buffy runs off to go meet him as soon as possible Mm -hmm. and kind of just tells Giles, hey, thanks for taking care of everything. Bye. (laughs) So nothing is really that resolved at the end of this. Mm Mm-hmm. Um... But Buffy's going to go see her angel. So I kind of want to talk about that last scene just because I... Yeah. I, yeah. Especially after watching the, the corresponding one on Angel. I didn't really understand like if it was really like they have to go see each other right that second and like it has to be somewhere secret in, in the middle or if that was just kind of the show's ruse to get Buffy to kind of have an excuse to flee her responsibilities. I definitely think it wasn't urgent other than she didn't, yes, she's definitely fleeing. It's not urgent. And it is kind of awkwardly stated. And that's certainly because they're just trying to write around, write in a reason why they aren't, we're not going to see this reunion happen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, it's happening in the middle of LA. It's not here in Sunnydale on Buffy. And it's not there in LA on Angel. <laughs> was like the, I think, pretty clear subtext of like, hey, these shows aren't on the same network anymore. So there's no more crossovers. <laughs> I guess I'm saying that part of it feels very clunky to me, but I did buy Buffy's um, basically running away. Yeah. Uh, Like, yeah, pretty literally from her responsibilities. Oh, like, quite literally. The front door is still in pieces, and there's trash all over the floor, and she just basically runs out of the house. Like, goodbye. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, and kind of as the, is so far the theme of, um, my viewing of season six is again, like maybe just because I wasn't as much, you know, I wasn't as old or wasn't as much of an adult. Some of the other times that I've watched this, but like, it just, yeah, I really, I guess I just like, hopefully I just don't just sound so stupid every episode this season, but it just never really hit me how much Buffy does just as soon as Giles is there for like ask him to take care of everything I guess because again I know you and I don't really don't agree on whether or not it makes sense for Giles to leave it but even I don't think we it doesn't even really involve that so much as like I know ugh, I used to think like well they're just writing excuses for Giles to to leave because he wants Buffy to be strong and on her own like again kind of down the, down the line in a few episodes but um I guess I'm just saying I, I still don't know that I agree with that as the choice for the show or for him the character but it does I always kind of thought it was a lame excuse where I was like, now again, it's just so obvious to me how much she is 
not even like leaning on him. She's straight out leaving it in his hands, like as soon as he's there. Which I think is a really interesting pattern that we saw happen when her mom died Mm -hmm. and Giles kind of recognized that Buffy was starting to lean on him a little too much to take care of Dawn. And he's kind of had to sit her down and say, you need to be the one to do this. Like you need to be the one to take care of her. Yeah. And it's, and she was a little bit angry about it, but also realized that he was right. And I think it's kind of a very similar thing where, I mean, obviously she's had a trauma and he's trying to help her, but ultimately he's going to come to the same conclusion that it needs to be Buffy to figure this out because she has to learn how to do this. There is no other option. Yeah. Well, and because she's, really really abandoning everything you know it's not like she's not saying hey can you go you know basically the things that he's offering to do he is offering her probably the support that she needs which is that like he's sympathetic to her he he's tries to hug her but also he says like i'll go through this paperwork with you because like yeah she's still pretty young adult and even if she hadn't just died (laughs) and been resurrected, like this would still be a pretty overwhelming experience, you know, to like all of a sudden be maintaining a house and to have to pay plumbers to fix pipes. You know, that is, that's a lot. So I guess, yeah, I'm just trying to say that like, it's not just that she's leaning on him because I think he would accept that, you know, if she were just saying like, Hey, I don't know what this paperwork means. I think he wouldn't be like, well, you need to figure it out. Deal with it on your own. Buffy is, you know, like no time like the present to grow up. It's more so that it's like, she's literally just saying like, okay, so you're going to sign all, all the paperwork and, and babysit Dawn who probably doesn't need a babysitter, but you know, we can get there later. But, um, but yeah, she's just like, she's not just leaning on him. She's literally leaving everything in his hands. She just shoved it all on him. Yeah. I think in my memory, it was always more the former of like, why doesn't Giles want to be there to support her? Whereas, like, she's really not asking for support. She's just asking him just straight up to do it. Yeah. And not even really asking so much. It's just leaving just it in his told hands. Him, okay, thanks. Yeah. Like, took I his mean, offer to help her as yeah. his offer to just do it, which, yeah. you know. Yeah, so, uh, anyway. I, I mean, I don't remember what exactly the way that the specifics of, the, of their relationship play out over the next couple episodes, but um, I'm certainly more sympathetic to Giles this, this watch through. I mean, not to say that I'm not still sympathetic for Buffy, because again, like, what could be worse? It's already a terrible, rude awakening when you have to become an adult and <laughs> have to become an adult after your mom died and after you died and after you were in heaven. Is like, it's, I mean, I feel for her. I can understand oh, yeah. not wanting to accept all these responsibilities since I still pretty much don't accept them in my own life and I've been through none of this. Yeah, I'm not trying to say, like, Buffy should just get over it and take care right, of everything, right. but no, no, her no. her complete abandonment of the situation is a, also not okay. Yeah. And it's certainly not going to solve anything. No. <sighs> well, um, despite it being a fairly obvious metaphor, I did like it. Flo- the flooded basement. You know, the title of this episode is flooded. Buffy is quite literally getting, you know, sprayed with pipes and flooded in the, her own basement. And it's kind of a problem that she's accidentally created herself. <laughs> this is a lot. It's a lot of little parallels. But I think it's a good, appropriate one. And also, again, because, like, really having a flood or something catastrophic like that in your house really is, like, a great, not metaphor for adulthood, but, like, it really is a good symbol for, like, that's when you really have to figure things out. Yeah, like, sometimes the way you learn how to figure things out is when you literally have no choice except mm-hmm. to do it. That's why procrastination works so well. Like, yeah. <laughs> you just do it because you have right. no other option. I don't think that's the right lesson here, Allie. <laughs> oh, um, man. 
So the other flip side of Giles' return that I really want to talk about is this oh, interaction he has with Willow. Willow. God, that's such a good scene. It's so good. <laughs> is this season great? I'm sure we'll get to the stuff that's bad, and I'll be like, oh, remember when we loved this season? But right, I really like this season so far. <laughs> well, I think it's similar to you saying, like, you're surprised by all this, like, your reaction to, like, Buffy's adulthood stuff is, like, my reaction is, because like, I just don't remember Willow being so evil from the get-go. <laughs> yeah, that too, that too. Yeah. Like, and here, but, not evil, like, she's she's loudly protesting that she's not the bad guy, but, like, right. she's still not, she's not having the right approach to this. Like, she's totally. still just hoping, like, her whole thing about bringing Buffy back is, like, in this conversation with Giles, the fact that Buffy is back and alive is, like, secondary. She just wants Giles to be impressed by her magic and wants yeah. him to congratulate her. Like, it's insane. It and is. And he doesn't react and, the way and, she wants, and she so... basically just threatens him. Yeah. Yeah. No, I... I mean, I also, mean, I just love this how... Is, this isn't Dark Willow. This is, like, Redhead Willow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's Braddy Willow, maybe, but... But, Yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah, it was. It, it is shocking to hear her talk that way, but not shocking in a, like, she would never say this, but just, like, shocking how much she's transformed since we first met her in season one, but also even just from last season, you know, she clearly is developing a complex. And that Giles is really the only one adult that they've all respected, you know, consistently over the years, and to have her, you know, have this fight with him specifically instead of with... Tara or with Xander or with someone else in the show, I think really also lands it for like, she is crossed the line. <laughs> and he doesn't pull his punches. He's not like, you know, I'm concerned. He's like, you're yeah. a rank, arrogant amateur who thinks she's better than that. dark yeah. magic. And he's like, you aren't the only person in the world who could do this spell, which is something that apparently she's under the impression of. And he's like, True. but you don't want to meet the people who would do it. Like that yeah. to me is like his biggest red flag of like, you don't want to, like, whether or not yeah. you can pull off this type of magic does not mean that you should be doing it. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's what the show is subtly trying to show is, like, the magic itself that Willow is doing is kind of eroding her soul a little bit or, like, eroding yeah. her herself. Like, her reaction to things or her thinking about it is kind of warping. Well, that's a good point. I mean, is it sort of a side effect of the magic not just the power and the feeling of power but like is the magic also contributing to it on its own i guess i suppose that is up to you the viewer to decide <laughs> you know is this, does she deserve a little sympathy because this is something that's out of her not out of her hands because she's the one choosing to do it but not not understanding those side effects i don't know but then again she shouldn't be doing these things if she doesn't really understand Right, and I think this is not the first time that the show has suggested this idea that magic kind of changes you and not for the better. Like, mm -hmm. we look at Giles' own background, and mm -hmm. you know, he and his friends were really heavily dabbling in dark magic, and Giles recognized that it wasn't good for him and kind of got out, but look at Ethan Rain. Like, he just went yeah. all in and is, like, one of the most evil characters on the show. So Yeah, that's um, true. Or if not straight-up evil, just very... Um, agnostic to human suffering so hmm. well okay. I would say it's really interesting to to watch like four episodes into the season and Willow was already like exhibiting problems yeah for sure um okay I have two follow-ups to this line of questioning did I thing number one did I miss Willow suggesting 
to use magic to fix the basement, though, because maybe this is the one time when magic would be a good practical solution. But I don't think that ever came up. Like, Power Hungry Willow didn't. also doesn't want to just fix the basement. There's nothing you can do, Willow. You can't ferry the water out of the basement so it doesn't mold the whole the whole thing. I guess that's just... I mean, that is a little bit interesting <laughs> a little because bit of an oversight. <laughs> Offering to do a locator spell yeah, for that exactly. really doesn't seem that helpful, but she's not offering to fix the basement. Yeah, that's a good point. Giles might and have been. And there's like also that. not really <laughs> any like well once Giles gets there, fine, but before that, it's like it's like you know, the plumber gives her a bill that looks like a phone number, it's so large. Like, I don't know, Willow, it seems like you could step in here. I mean she probably can't fix the pipes because you probably have to know how to fix the pipes to get that to work, but it does feel like she could be mitigating something. I mean, maybe that is she could maybe be re- that removing the water. Is kind of, yeah, exactly. But maybe Willow again is so warped that she only views kind of in the way that we've talked about. Like, well, it seems like she uses magic to solve emotional problems instead of to be a tool. And so maybe this is just yet another example of like, well, she doesn't have any stake in this emotionally, so it doesn't occur to her that this is something she could fix. Let's. Let's keep that in mind because I think you're absolutely right. I think that's Willow's crutch is not Mm -hmm. that magic fixes everything. It's that magic fixes the hard emotional problems that she doesn't Mm want to. Like, think of down the line we're going to see her definitely using that. um, Right that way and but we don't ever really see her fixing it like she'll fix it to revert death or you know something painful but like also you can kind of see like well the pipes bursting like Willow might be living in Buffy's house now but like it's never suggested that she's financially on the hook in any way for what's going on so maybe she just doesn't care enough to use magic because it's not her problem to solve Mm mm-hmm yeah I agree which also so doesn't maybe make it's not a plot hole, good, but, but. Yeah. <laughs> either it's just an oversight from the writers or a pretty cutting commentary on Willow. <laughs> it could be both. Yeah. Um, but also speaking about people who haven't been thinking things through, I mean, again, I understand that maybe for some people it's not fun to watch scenes like this, but boy, oh boy, is Xander just wrong <laughs> in this and in his interaction with Anya. You know, I have this whole fight about how he still won't tell people that they're engaged, and he goes through this long-winded speech explaining to her that he's, you know, it's so much change, and it's so much this, and he's not sure he's quite ready, and I just was like, then Xander, why did you propose to her? Those are fine feelings to have at this stage in your life, but that sure makes it questionable why you decided to ask the question at all. It kind of makes you go back and think maybe he really did just ask her to marry him because he didn't think that they were going to survive. I agree. Or not even because he didn't think they were going to survive, but he was just so swept up in the moment. Yeah, yeah, I guess yeah. Yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, he really didn't <sighs> think through the... And, you know, this thread is going to continue, and yeah. it's probably one of my least favorite <laughs> aspects of this season. But, yeah. yeah, it's not a good look here on Xander. I mean, his... He could just say, you know, Anya, like, I'm really sorry, but maybe we shouldn't get married yet. Like, maybe we yeah. should not be engaged. But he's not, like, mature enough to do that, and... Instead, or to he's really just recognize that. protesting that, no, he really wants to marry her, but he just doesn't want anybody to know about it. Like, that yeah. doesn't make any <laughs> sense. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I agree. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm only, I'm, 
I'm not saying I'm going to give Xander a pass, but, like, this really is Xander's season to be the hero, so I don't want to be too mean to him, but, like, he's... But I think, I think it's important to remember that, like, Xander hasn't really changed. Like, he's grown up, and he's, you know, I think we talked a lot last season about yeah. him really turning some corners, but he's still stupid. Like, he's still, like... He's still stupid Xander, who's, like, emotionally stunted, so... Yeah, that's true. And now, and again, not, it's not even... Like I said, like, when he was kind of giving her this whole speech and, like, thinking to myself, well, they're, they're 20, they're 21. They're no older than 21. No, not even. They must be 20. Oof. Yeah. Um, that's a... That's young to get married. <laughs> you know, that's young this day. Even the, even in 2001, that, that's fairly young to be getting married and to be making these kind of choices. So, at least for a lot of people. So... That he's wary of marriage, I don't feel like is a red flag or means necessarily that he's emotionally stunted. You know, like, yeah, they have been dating a couple of years, they live together, but they're still young. So it's fair that to, like, want to get a little more experience under your belt before you go through with this huge commitment. But, but yeah, where he's stunted is uh, not being able to recognize anything about himself and make accurately assess what's going on with his own feelings. Uh, yes, when I say emotionally stunted, that's what I mean. I mean, like, he's unable to walk it back in a yeah, mature like, way. rational way. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, but to your earlier point, or, and just to, you know, credit where credit is due, though, obviously I'm not on Xander's side in this argument, but Xander as a character, you're right to say that he hasn't changed because he's definitely still fundamentally the same person, but I am still glad every episode that he's matured. <laughs> Yes. You know, he is a lot more bearable on screen. He is finally able to provide some comic relief that I don't feel like I have to cringe at. Um, you know, it's like, it's funny when he's there trying to repair the table and he says, all right, I'm calling it, you know. Like, that's funny. And and I like getting to see that he has developed some, like, actual real-world skills and knowledge. That, yes, he's still the sidekick and he's never going to be the powerhouse, but, like, he's the only one among them who knows who what plumber to call, <laughs> you know? I mean, this is, I think... What's really frustrating right now is everybody is like annoying me, but they're you can also kind of like <laughs> see their you can also like see their side of things, you know. So, yeah. and I guess again, that's I can understand why for a lot of people maybe that's not enjoyable television. It's like, oh, I don't want to relive my twenties, or I don't, you know, or you you have an experience and you're like, man, why is everyone such a jerk? Like, I don't know. I do. I can understand how this isn't everyone's cup of tea, but I think I really like it. Yeah, I mean, like, everyone struggling is not always the most fun thing to watch, but... And they're also not, you know, they're making some bad choices. Some of them, like, monumentally bad choices, like bringing your friend back from the dead, but some of them, like, smaller bad choices, you know. I guess, like, not telling your friends you're engaged. That's still a pretty big bad choice, but... Um, should we talk about the trio? yeah. Because we meet them. We've met two of them before, mm -hmm. and we've met the brother of one of them. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't tell I if the is. allusion to, like, the flying monkeys was, like, supposed to be a joke about, like, surely there's so much crazy stuff that happened at this school that we, like, never yeah. witnessed. Yes. I think so. And, like, I guess, did they just not like that actor from before? You know, like, what, it is, what is it about Tucker that, like, they decide to write him out and make a new character? Why does Andrew really need to be tied into everything? I'm not sure, but it is funny. It is my favorite running gag, I think. <laughs> or one of them. Yeah. That they keep Tucker's referring brother. to. Tucker's brother. <laughs> As though anyone would remember who Tucker was without constant reminder <laughs> reminders. 
Um, but I do love them, like, trying to prove their bona fides to the demon and also, like, to each other and still not even recognizing themselves as, like, wrong in their actions. Like, yeah. you know, Jonathan's offering up a spell, like, oh, I can make everybody love you. Yeah. And Warren's like, I can build you a robot. And then, you know, nobody's, like, none of the three are taking a pause to kind of self-reflect and go, like, they're worried about murdering someone, but they're not at all worried about having robbed a bank. Like, a felony is a yeah. felony. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But I think that's I mean, part of what's interesting about them as villains is, like, they're really not that self-aware, at least for a while. No, I mean, and they're certainly going about this from a pretty, yeah, like a disconnected viewpoint where they've been living in this so much in the world of fiction and comics and superheroes that to them it is kind of, like, funny to be a supervillain. You know, like, there's no, I think, yeah, they are kind of thinking of it in this really juvenile and really, like, yeah, just, they're not thinking, like everyone else here, they're not really thinking it through. They're just thinking like, yeah, on paper, it's cool to be a supervillain because you get all the money that you want, you can do whatever you want, and you're powerful and everyone will love and respect you, which they maybe don't have in their real life. I don't know about love and respect. Well, supervillains. <laughs> yeah, 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 sorry. Uh, cower, <laughs> you're right. But I guess I mean, they'll feel as though people are paying them respect. I was trying not to say that they'll get women. <laughs> Uh, so I yeah. said love. But you and won't, that was, but you won't, yeah. like, they haven't thought about, like, the real world context of that. Like, that's why exactly. comic books are so fun. But if you, exactly. if you really no encountered some of what you read in comics in real life, it's messed up. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but speaking of women and their part of their goal is to get girls, girls, girls. Um, I mean, I do think... <laughs> I don't want to say that it hasn't aged well because it's sort of the opposite <laughs> I feel like when a lot of this show was written and when these episodes were airing, a lot more of the things that they were saying was played for laughs. But also knowing how this goes and how much you and I have already talked about Warren's misogyny. I mean, I don't, you know, Warren being misogynist also not like, it's pretty obviously stated over the course of the show and even the episodes he's already been in, like that's pretty much been one of the themes. But I, I guess I think it was kind of interesting that it's like, I think a lot of things that 10 or 20 years ago I and other people would have just been giggling at are now early warning signs for where the season is going and how these characters are behaving. You know, it is kind of, it's a little bit funny because again, they're kind of living in this comic book superhero world where there aren't consequences to anything that they're doing, but it's also like clearly warped their point of view. You know, they've even, they talk about Buffy that way too, which is like, I get it because she's a hot girl, but also like she's so powerful and has saved their lives multiple times, especially you, Jonathan. Like, you know, like it does seem like they would yeah. maybe talk about her with a little more respect or a li- or have any thing else to say about her other than she's hot. <laughs> so that was the one thing that didn't really work for me was so think about the last time we saw Jonathan mm-hmm. um, and then think about the way he's talking about Buffy now. I just that was a little bit jarring, like. Buffy has only ever saved his life, and she's been empathetic when she did it, you know? Yeah. And And then to have him turn around and talk about her as, like, some future sex slave of his, like, it's just bizarre. But so. I don't think it's as bizarre as... It's bizarre and jarring. I don't think it's unrealistic. <laughs> you know, this no, day but and I mean, age like, Jonathan of, like... Is the one who like presented her with the class award at the prom and like I know well that I, does I, it's break jarring my heart, to but me because it, it doesn't really seem consistent with like Jonathan's personality I don't know I've had a f- 
I can, without going into too much detail, I will say that I feel like I've had relationships like that with people who I thought we were friends and then down the line, something like, not of this, you know, not to this extent, obviously, but like, then it was kind of like, oh, in front of your friends, you'll still say this. Or, I mean, that's not even that uncommon of an experience for girls, I don't think, you know? To think that someone yeah, is your friend, but then they'll just talk about you like a piece of meat to their friends later for to score I mean, that's some sort point. of reputation is not a weird thing. And maybe yeah, he doesn't I mean, mean it. And I do think that later will, again, he'll, um, of them, I think he's going to be the most sympathetic. Um, so, yeah. If anything, that makes it more heartbreaking that, yes, the guy who presented her with the Class Protector Award is still so damaged as a person that he can't move past, you know, some of these really childish desires and live a normal life. Man, are they just every internet troll though? Again, like these characters, I, I feel like they still existed and still worked in 2001 when they aired, but I feel like they've, uh, this storyline maybe has only gotten more potent for me. <laughs> Am I just yeah, overthinking it? Yeah, it does feel it? a little bit really ahead of feels, its time. Yeah. Oh man. Well, on a brighter note, I am happy to see Andrew. I do love him. Oh, he's funny right off the bat. He's so. funny right off the bat. I like the way he plays his character. <laughs> if anyone's not aware, they should look up Tom Link on Instagram because he now just does homemade craft versions of Hollywood star red carpet looks. And it's pretty amusing. Uh, Andrew's not doing Amusing that, and Link amazing. Is. Using and amazing? Amusing and amazing, yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, and I did like... He doesn't the... even always do, like, red carpet. Like, sometimes right, it's just, yeah. like, when you see people, Fashion. like... Like, he did one for J-Lo recently that was hilarious. Yeah. But, yeah, it's hard to describe how he does it exactly, but it's, like, he literally uses whatever weird... Like, he's obviously a talented, like, craft, craft person and artist. But, yeah, it's, like, he'll make a dress that... And, like photograph it in such an angle that it looks almost exactly like whatever the other person's wearing but then it's like we look at it for two minutes and then you're like oh yes clearly that's a garbage bag (laughs) yeah (laughs) but not in a way that's like wow that actress sure looks like she's wearing a garbage bag on the red carpet it's like a lot more like wow I didn't realize he was wearing a garbage bag how did you do this I guess it's a little bit of both but anyway yeah (sighs) um the one other joke that I liked was uh, Don finding the demon in, like, a book and being like, oh, it's mm, Fashnik, and saying, you know, like, mm, cookies. And then later in the episode, when Jonathan's talking about him, he pronounces it the same way, mm, Fashnik. Like, I really don't think that's how you're supposed to say it, guys. But I don't know. <laughs> I, um, that scene was also interesting for me of Tara telling Don that she's very mature for her age. Oh, my God. And also... I was like, have you yeah. met her... Well, that and then also the whole the ludicrousness of them questioning if she is even old enough to research like it's fair that to me I think that they would want to be protective of Dawn and not send her out on patrols at 15 just because they were doing it at 15 but I mean she's around them all the time like she can read a book guys like what a weird yeah that's a great that's a great point they (laughs) were all Dawn's age in the first season so maybe they were 16 but essentially the same age so well and again i I, i'm not against them saying like yeah but no slang for you because like they were too young to be slaying they shouldn't have been doing any of this but it's very weird and unrealistic to act like she can't research with them yeah maybe (sighs) they should just get her an anatomy book first (laughs) all right 
I think that's everything I have to say about this. But yeah, let's talk it. about Carpe Noctum. Mm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we can. So, I mean, I feel like the story on this one was really straightforward. Angel and Wesley are reading the newspaper and notice a couple of mysterious deaths that seem to have some sort of pattern to them. Um, so they start investigating, even though nobody asks them to. Um, and all of the victims have died in extensive hotels, and they've left behind, like, a, an empty skin suit. <laughs> uh, it's, like, kind of gross. Uh, in these, like, yeah, in these fancy hotels after, like, a wild night of partying. So they decide to draw any other links that they can, and all the victims are men that seem to go to the same gym. So they go there to investigate. Um, Angel goes with Cordelia, and while he's there, he notices across the street that there's a retirement home with um, windows that look directly into the gym. So he goes across the street by himself to investigate, in particular, this one window where he thought he saw someone looking looking at the gym. Um, and it turns out, yes, there's this older man that lives in the retirement home, and he has been <laughs> staring at the gym and casting a spell to switch bodies with uh, physically fit young men at the gym. And then when he's had his fun or time is running out, they didn't really get into the details of that part, I don't think, um, he reverses the spell and goes back to the retirement home just to kind of repeat the same thing. Um, of course, Angel shows up, and so he ends up casting that spell on Angel and leaving Angel behind in his body at the retirement home. And he goes and uh, goes back to the hotel and goes back to his Angel investigation team. Um, uh, this guy, you know, is pretty gross with every single woman that he encounters, and he tries to get with every single woman that's ever been in the show. <laughs> Uh, and meanwhile, he hurts Fred's feelings, who at this point is still in love with Angel. Um, and he like makes out with Lila, who's there for some reason from Wilferman and Hart, bringing them some information. But eventually everybody in the gang figures out this isn't really Angel and they piece together what happened. So they um, help Angel fight this guy and um, switch bodies back. And then they leave him behind. Um, yeah. So it's a little classic body switcheroo episode. Complete with gay panic. Uh, and, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, homophobia uh, and all that fun And stuff. some sexism. And again, like sort of played for laughs, but sort of not. Like, yes, he's the bad guy, but maybe, I don't know. I mean, this episode was fine. I didn't hate it. Uh, kind of like all of the season. <laughs> my note on season six of Buffy is like, wow, I can't believe how much I'm enjoying this and also how well scripted everything is. And with Angel, it's like, well, these sure are a lot better, <laughs> but they're still not great. You know, like I wasn't bored about, I wasn't really bored by this episode. I didn't hate it. it some, you know, yeah, I could do without the pretty extended gay panic sequence where uh, Cordelia tells not Angel and Angel's body that he needs to talk to Fred, who's in love with him. And he thinks obviously that Fred is a man. Um, yeah, I mean, I could have done without that. Uh, but otherwise, you know, this was fine, right? Yeah, I think it. I think you're right in that it was played for comedy, but it plays for comedy the way, like, some of this was played for comedy on Friends, and then you're, like, you know, for an example, and then you're, like, watching it ten years later going, huh. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, it's really interesting, and I think the things that really worked for me, though, watching this through are, like, the sequences where, you know, this man that has taken over Angel's body is really sexist and not treating women very well, but it is played to really tease out this relationship that Angel has sort of unwittingly... That's true. 
like developed with Fred where he thinks he's being a friend and like helping her get used to the world and she's got this massive crush on him Mm -hmm. um and I think it's interesting the way it plays into that dynamic Mm -hmm. but well it also is I think notable that well number one okay let me start there and then I'll, I'll dial it back a little bit but I will say that it also kind of highlights like this guy starts saying things to Cordelia immediately who is is completely unfazed by it because she just thinks Angel's being weird. Like, she knows that Angel would never say those things, so she doesn't even get mad about it because it's just such a, like, kind of bizarre... It's just so uncharacteristic, but in a way that she just says, like, writing off as, like, a very, very bad joke because who cares, kind of. And now that I've said that, I'm like, well... Yeah, but also (laughs) I think for her, like, she... I think for her, she's also, like, Cordelia is probably someone who's heard that from so many men, like that she recognizes it for what it is, which is a line, and, like, you know, she's dismissive of it, but then he says the exact same thing to Fred. Right, who has a different reaction. Yeah, she's more naive and innocent, and she's also been in the cave for five years, so, Mm -hmm. you know, she doesn't really have the same understanding of, like, the signaling here, and then, you know, he also says the exact same thing to Lila. Yeah. (laughs) And who is a little bit more jaded, but it also kind of works on her, too. Mm Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, I do think that Cordelia should have noticed sooner that something was wrong, especially because in general, not even in general, Cordelia is the empathetic one in this show. She's the one who not only has magical powers that make her extra empathetic to everybody, but she always, even on Buffy, when she wasn't sympathetic, she always knew when someone was off or when somebody, something was bothering someone, you know, like she's very observant and she's very good at noticing people's personality ticks. So it's, it's, it is pretty weird that she's the first one that he encounters and that she maybe takes the longest to realize what's going on. But... Yeah, the only reason they figure it out is because Wesley finds vampire books. And, yeah, like, the guy was yeah. reading up on vampires, which it still feels like more of a leap, but... Well, and, and like, that none of them have had even an inkling of, like, well, was Angel... They didn't, like, ask, like, oh, he was acting pretty weird. Maybe something's up. And then go look for clues. It was like they found this book and then they backtracked their way into the clues, you know? So, that is weird. It's also weird that Angel just kind of let that guy cast a spell on him. <laughs> like, surely well, he could have interrupted him. Cocky. Like, yeah. he thought it wouldn't work on him. So, he was like, I'm just going to stand here and let him do his spell, and then I'll take him out. I but suppose. Then, but why would he think that? Yeah. Eh, who knows? I don't know. <sighs> you're right. He you was kind of to... like, you, you're going to be surprised when you try to run your magic on me. Mm-hmm. And, <sighs> well, how do you feel about the Lila thing? Uh... Because I guess I buy I mean, it is what I feel. <laughs> buy that yeah, she would be into I, it. <laughs> I feel like it, like it was just kind of like the show's way to like have fun with this idea of like this. I've never really picked up on sexual tension between Lila and Angel, but like I 100% buy that Lila would be like nursing some dark fantasy about yeah, him. Yeah, me too. So, yeah, it made sense to me. I, <laughs> I mean, he does need to be treating Fred differently. <laughs> uh, yeah. And better. But you know what? I, I will say, even though... He's playing a person in this episode who's awful, but I will say one thing about this episode that I loved is that it really gave David Boreanaz a chance oh, to play yeah. something totally different, and he kills it. Yeah, and it's he like, is good. He's just really not suited to this, like, brooding, he's not. you know, noble <laughs> vampire, whereas, like, he, when he gets to have fun and be a little bit evil and, you know, yeah. or just, like, smile, it's so much better. Yeah, it is. And it's just, yeah, you're right. And that does make the... I think that's why the episode, like... This isn't my favorite 
I'm never going to remember this episode <laughs> in the future, but it wasn't a slog to watch it because Angel's having fun. And that's always enjoyable to watch, especially for me, as I've mentioned many times. I will watch 12 seasons of Bones just to watch Angel having a good time. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But going back to what you were saying, like, Angel should really know better with Fred. He should, and he should also accept the responsibility of how to deal with it. And he's kind of like Buffy in this regard where he asks Cordelia to just take care of it That's for true, him. That's true, yeah. And then <laughs> she says she's not going to do it, but then she does it anyway. Yeah. And, you know, he still kind of gets away with it. And it's, you know, maybe he and Buffy need to learn some lessons on responsibility. <laughs> it's true. I guess I do think it's pretty consistent with his character, though, that he has always been pretty awkward around women. You know, not just because of the curse, but it does seem like, a, not, I guess not in his entire lifespan, but, you know, since he's since we've known him in the contemporary day to the show um he has always kind of been like that a little a little bit oblivious so there is a part of it that is at least consistent even if it's not really excusable because he should definitely know better he's very old (laughs) that's about all i have to say (laughs) yeah it was it was slight um i you know i was thinking at the beginning when you know there's that first scene with the one of the first bodies that um this man had taken over that we Mm -hmm. see and given that we had just seen um, Lila and Angel make this bargain a few episodes ago for Cordelia. Oh, mm-hmm. And I, like, immediately thought it was that man. <laughs> oh, interesting. Who Angel had taken out of the hellfire. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. a good point. You know, that guy's got to come back. Yeah. And then and then slowly kind of realize, oh, this is that other episode. Okay. But, but, yeah, I mean, basically I just bring that up to say, like, my Angel memory is so jumbled and indistinct and I don't think that watching it this time around is going to fix that yeah (laughs) (laughs) like you said this episode is entertaining in the moment but it's not one that's going to stick with me um I do wonder what they're dropping hints about because because I genuinely don't remember uh with Lila and Gavin because you know there was this little kind of throw not throwaway but like clearly uh foreshadow not even foreshadowing right just like a little scene establishing some stuff where Gavin and Gavin kind of is trying to make up with Lila and he again like implies that maybe there's more to his <laughs> evil evil plot than just drowning Angel in paperwork but Lila reacts to that by hiring a graphic forger like a graphic artist to forge paperwork for Angel like I I don't remember why she's doing that I think because she's trying to keep Gavin out of her business. Like, I suppose. if Gavin is yeah. successful by bringing Angel down with bureaucracy, then she doesn't get to have her special project anymore. Yeah, so. I guess that's true. Yeah, and maybe that ties into like her deciding to go with it and hook up with Angel. Like, right? He's she kind of feels ownership of him yeah. as this issue. So yeah. that's what I read it as. I mean, mm-hmm. also like, okay, you can forge a bunch of documents, but like, if they're that not in city records, I know. <laughs> how, how far is that going to get you? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe people just chalk it up to like dysfunction. But, True. Yeah. Hmm. But that also begs the question of like, is Angel just squatting? Like, well, I thought he got a mortgage or something for the hotel. Yeah, like, I and didn't how think do they he open just like business? moved into this abandoned building. Yeah, because yeah. it does seem like they have. You know, they've been invoicing. They have. Do they have a PI license? Is all of this? illegal and under the radar or is some of it above board i was always under the impression that at least some of it was legitimate and you know that cordelia had probably gone through to set up this paperwork but it is a good question on like how has angel ever been paying for anything and how did any of this happen yeah i guess that a building was so 
uh, decrepit and uninteresting to anyone that people just aren't paying attention to it. But that's kind of a poor explanation. But also, I mean, that kind of is a little bit, like, of a stretch because this is LA. Exactly. And yeah. even though it's like 2000, whatever, 2001, it's an abandoned building in LA. Somebody is going to like some developer is going to snap that yeah. up and build a, like <laughs> condos or something. So, or, you know, a mall or who knows, mm-hmm. but, um, it's a little bit interesting that it is just sitting there. Yeah. But that's why I thought Angel bought it. So I thought he did too. I don't know. Well, maybe the intricacies of Angel's real estate deals weren't really the point of the show. I so. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's that's pretty much all I Yeah. All I have thoughts on. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Um, okay, so next time we've got life cereal. Not okay. like the breakfast cereal, but mm-hmm. life life cereal. Hmm. Um, and I don't... What do we have coming up on Angel? Um, friendless. Oh, Fredless. Not Friendless. Fredless. Okay. Interesting. I think I actually do remember what that was. I feel like is. I should. Do you have any pop culture? God. I am a continuing slacker. No, I don't. <laughs> uh, it's not slacking. <laughs> uh, I mean, I know I have to talk about this stuff. Sorry, I don't have anything. It's okay. I don't have anything this week either. <sighs> that makes it worse. Well, <laughs> watch Buffy. Yes, yeah, sure. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> Our pop culture this week is to watch Buffy. Mm-hmm. You can take your pick on Angel, but yeah. <laughs> Have you heard of this show? It's called Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. I think this week... Uh, mm. Team Giles. I was just going to say for that. I, I really think for his conversation with Willow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Well, okay. we'll be back to talk about the next two episodes. Yeah. In a couple weeks. In two weeks. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I might have said next week. I don't know. It would be next time. Next but it's time. in two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> you guys have figured that out by now. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'll talk to All you right, later. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Once More with Commentary is produced by me, Allie. And me, Ginny. Our theme music is from the album Rockingham by Nerf Herder. And our podcast logo is by Ryan Cooney. You can email us at scoobies at oncemorewithcommentary.com with any feedback, questions, comments that you have, and find us on Twitter and Instagram at omwcpodcast. You can also find our most recent episodes and any show notes at oncemorewithcommentary.com. Commentary.com.